Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the gift of eternal life that was purchased for us uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. And Father, I pray right now, right now as we think about um, what you did on Pentecost when you sent your Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to your word and to your spirit. And God, may uh, we leave here, uh, God, with a greater appreciation for how much you love us and what you've given to us because of what your word teaches us tonight. We love and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What oxygen is to a fire, what gasoline is to an engine, or oil to a lamp, so the Holy Spirit is to the ministry of the church. And we are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission that God himself has set out for us, the Great Commission, to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations, and to keep our eyes focused on the ever-present Jesus Christ who, although we cannot see him, we know is always with us because he has promised never would he leave us, never would he forsake us. Uh, we've been trying to teach that to Elijah, and uh, when Elijah wants something to stop or he wants to transition to something else, he'll say bye-bye, you know, bye-bye bed, bye-bye nap. I don't want to nap, bye-bye nap. And so uh, we'll, if I am talking with him about Jesus at night, sometimes he'll say bye-bye Jesus, Bye-bye, Jesus, and I, and I teach him, uh, Elijah, no, we never say bye-bye to Jesus. He's always with us. And even though we can't see him, but he's here and he's with us. And uh, it's so important that we as adults remember that as well, that Jesus is always with us. And he has uh, maintained his presence with us through the person of and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Jesus Christ is omnipresent as our creator. He is everywhere. And yet also he is here in a very special way through the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers, as individual believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You're not your own, you've been bought with a price. But also, we have to remember chapter 6 comes after chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul says that you as the church, as a local body, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with us here tonight, and He's with us here tonight in a way that is different, in a way that I can't completely uh, communicate to you because I don't completely understand it myself. I'm growing in my understanding of it as well. But there is a way that when we gather that the Holy Spirit is present with us in the temple of God, which is not this building, but us as a gathered body, the ecclesia, the church, is the called out assembly of Jesus Christ. And when we are gathered as that called out assembly, the Holy Spirit is ministering in a way that is unique and is different. Again, we carry the Holy Spirit, Spirit with us. If you're in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Wherever you go, you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, but He is with us here tonight in a very special way. And so we are completely dependent uh, for our uh, total understanding and application of his word and what he has revealed through the apostles and the prophets. Now, this morning we looked at Acts chapter 1. We're going to start there, Acts chapter 1 again, if you'll turn with me. It'll be our launching pad tonight. And we talked this morning about 
the command to wait, the command that God gave the apostles to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost. And again, in Acts chapter 1, being assembled together, verse 4, with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which uh, uh, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, speaking of John the baptizer, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And so we see that, verse 8, they will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, speaking to those first disciples, but also speaking to us as well. We receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and then that uh, Holy Ghost power enables us to be witnesses unto Jesus Christ, uh, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we talked this morning about the meaning of the word power, uh, dunamis, which in the Greek means the ability to perform. It means the ability to accomplish something. It's not speaking of physical strength or raw power but of effectiveness and the ability to achieve whatever it is that God has called us to do. And so whatever God has called me to do, whatever God has commanded me to do, in the Holy Spirit, He has also enabled and empowered me to do. And so if I am unable to fulfill the commands of Jesus Christ, it is not because of a lack of power. It is because of a lack of obedience and a lack of submission to the Holy Spirit. Again, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But we talked this morning briefly about the things that the apostles were doing while they were waiting. We talked about them being obedient to the Lord. They did stay in Jerusalem, not like Saul who was given instructions uh, on the destruction of the Amalekites and yet Saul decided that he was going to partially obey. No, the apostles completely obeyed. They obeyed Jesus Christ. They stayed where he told them to stay. They waited the way that he told them to wait. But they also gathered together. They also were one accord in prayer and supplication. They were praying not only for one another, but they were praying together as a body of Christ. And God will answer those prayers. Jesus said where two or three or more are gathered together in my name. When we gather together in the name of Jesus and we pray according to his will, 1 John 5 promises us that this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the thing that we've asked for. And so when we gather as a body and we know that we're praying for what God wants and for God's revealed will, uh, we can pray with confidence. We pray together as a family with confidence that the Father will give us the thing that He tells us that He wants to give us. But as James says, uh, oftentimes we have not because we ask not. And so the church was praying. They were studying the scriptures we saw together uh, this morning. And then we saw also that they were uh, preparing uh, for ministry. They were preparing for the time. They were, they were having the patience of a farmer. They weren't just sitting passively back. They were actively waiting by preparing for the task that lay before them. And so they found, according to the scriptures, as prophecy demanded they found uh, the substitute the replacement I should say for the betrayer Judas Iscariot and they were doing what they could do while they waited for what only God could do and we need to understand that the ministry of the Holy Spirit the power that he brings and that he gives us and the enabling that he provides us is absolutely essential 
And while the, the apostles had things that they needed to do, and they did them, nevertheless, all of their activity, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, would accomplish nothing. And so we can have all the leadership that we want, and we can do all the ministry planning that we want, and we can have all the fellowships that we want, and we can offer all the prayers that we want, and there are many places that do those things, and yet, as Paul warns, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of godliness, and they're not operating under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They're not operating under the authority of the Word of God. So we must be very careful that while we need to do those things, we're not seeing those things as substitutes for the Word of God and substitutes for the power of the Holy Spirit. No amount of leadership, fellowship, prayer can ever replace the Holy Spirit's presence and the Holy Spirit's power. We are completely dependent on Him. Now, who is this Holy Spirit? Who is this Holy Ghost? Just a few brief reminders for you who we're talking about here. Jesus called him uh, in John chapter 14 the promise of the Father. He calls him the advocate or the comforter or the counselor. In Greek, it's the alon perikleton, which means literally another advocate just like me. One who is exactly like me. Now, I didn't really appreciate that. Uh, understanding of needing an advocate until Gigi and I went through the very long process, the very expensive process of getting her U.S. citizenship. Uh, Gigi was born in Ethiopia, but her uh, family immigrated to Canada, and so she is now a Canadian citizen and a citizen of the United States. She has joint citizenship, but she was here on a visa initially when we met and uh, when God brought us together, and we, when we got married, we started that uh, process. Actually, I think we started it before we even got married, but it was a pretty long, pretty long ordeal. But one of the problems that we ran into was that her birth certificate was lost. And because of some of the regime changes in Ethiopia, and the, the communists had taken over at one point, which was, ended up being why they had to uh, leave the country and why they ended up immigrating. Her, my father-in-law actually had to flee the country for his life uh, many years ago and uh, found his way to Canada, able to get his family out. But because of the regime, regime changes, she wasn't able to go back to Ethiopia. We, we think that uh, in all likelihood her original birth certificate was destroyed. There was no record of her actually being born there. And so we had to go through all this extra process of getting the substitutes for the birth certificate. But as we sat uh, with Homeland Security and as we sat with the immigration agent, and he was wondering why we didn't have that birth certificate. And in that moment, we realized that all that money that we paid for our immigration lawyer, every cent was well spent. <laughs> because that advocate stepped up and said, this is, this is what we have. This, we have met the legal requirement. We have met the legal requirement. This is what we need to have according to the law in place of a birth certificate. And the immigration officer, I don't know if he was just trying to make us sweat or, or you know, if, or, or if he really wasn't sure whether he was going to approve her application initially, but uh, praise the Lord that that went through. But I, I understood there, there in, in that moment what it means when we say that uh, Jesus Christ is our advocate, 
what it means when we say that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. And Jesus said that the Elan Paracleton, the another advocate just like me, is going to come for us and be with us. He's the Spirit of truth, Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John. Um, and he is one with the triune God. Uh, this is something that was hinted at in the Old Testament. The divinity of the Holy Spirit uh, is seen in the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit active in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we see the plurality of the one God in Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When we look at the Hebrew, we see that uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We see both a plurality to the noun, but also a singular verb is used there, indicating that God is one, and yet God is more than one. He is one God, but he is more than one person. And say, give me an illustration, Pastor, that can uh, explain that to me, that can help me to see that. Well, there isn't one, really. Some people have used the egg illustration. Some people use the, uh, the uh, uh, clover illustration. But really, those are horribly inadequate because there is nothing in all of creation like our God, like our Creator. So there is, no there is no way to illustrate it. And a God who could fit in our understanding would not be much of a God anyways. So uh, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Uh, we do see that as we have looked at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, that we are to baptize in the name, singular, one name, but in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see it clearly in 1 John 5, 7. There are three that bear witness uh, in heaven. Uh, we'll talk more about that verse uh, down the road. A lot we can say about that. But as the Spirit of Christ, as he's called in Romans chapter 8, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, as the Spirit of Christ, he is Christ's delegate on earth. While the Messiah is physically seated on the throne in heaven, the Perikleton, the one who is just like him, so much so that because of their oneness, their perfect unity and oneness as one God. So the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's the, uh, the delegate of Jesus Christ while the Messiah is gone. He is in the Messiah's physical absence. He is Christ on earth, as we'll see in just a minute. We're going to go to John chapter 14 and look at some of these verses that Jesus uh, gave to his disciples in just a minute. We also see him in Romans 8 called the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. Uh, the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1.13. Uh, and he guarantees our redemption and our place in the family of God. We have not yet been adopted. Paul says in Romans 8 that our adoption is a future event. But it is certain, it is legally guaranteed. And we know that it's legally guaranteed because we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. I have some friends, a number of friends actually, who have adopted internationally. And they traveled to another country and got a child. And that child was 100% their child. But that child had never yet been to their new home. They were on the other side of the world from their new home. And so they would bring that child and brought that child back here to the United States and 
brought that child to the child's new home. But that child didn't suddenly become their child when he just simply entered into the house, into the building. He became their child uh, in, in the country of origin. But the reality was not received until he got into his own room and his own home and began to make himself at home, and that's when he began to experience the adoption. And the same is true for us. The experience of our adoption is a future event, but it is 100% certain and guaranteed because of the spirit of adoption, the spirit of promise, the spirit who has sealed us for that day, the day of our redemption. And so we know that we, as uh, believers in Jesus, those of us who have placed our faith and trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only and all-sufficient payment for our sins, Uh, We have been born again, John chapter 3. We've been born of the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of adoption, and we uh, have that guarantee. And so that's who we're talking about here. That's who the world was waiting for. Just as the world was waiting for Messiah to be born, so also, although they did not realize it, the world was waiting for the Spirit to be sent as well. I want you to turn with me to John. We're going to look at some, passage, some verses here uh, in this passage, John 14, 15, and 16. Uh, we'll skip around a little bit. I want to start in chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says to them, now this is on the night he was betrayed. This is after uh, they have had the Lord's Supper and Jesus has now instituted communion. And by the way, be in prayer uh, for wisdom for us as a leadership as we navigate how we're going to go about with the restrictions and and for your own safety how we're going to go about uh, observing the Lord's table together that's something that's uh, that's vitally important Uh, it's uh, an ordinance of the church and we are going to uh, to make that a priority we just need to uh, figure out exactly how we're going to do that safely and um, so be in prayer for us as we make decisions like that going forward Uh, but on that night after Judas left and Jesus was teaching some very special things to the apostles as he prepared to leave them and go to the cross. And he's giving them some incredible instruction and incredible encouragement, incredible promises. And he says in chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, it is better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. What an incredible statement. It is better for you, Jesus said. And I wouldn't, I don't think I'd believe it if it didn't come from Jesus, right? If it just came from some theologian, if it just came from some uh, uh, book that I read, some devotional, you know, it was better that Jesus left. I'd have said, yeah, right. But this is from the very mouth of Jesus Christ himself. It is better for you, it is expedient. For you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. See, the the Holy Spirit was going to have a new ministry. Now, again, the Holy Spirit's been active since the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, even before God spoke light, let there be light, and there was light. Even before the Son of God created us and created all that we see. The Holy Spirit was active as well. He was present. And the Holy Spirit was striving with man during those days leading up to the flood. Genesis 6 tells us that God says, my spirit will not always strive with man, but that he was striving with men. And the Holy Spirit 
We see in Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, verse 30, the, the Holy Spirit was also actively uh, striving with the nation of Israel and others that the prophets of God being moved and filled with the Holy Spirit and being inspired by the Holy Spirit as He was speaking through them as as Peter says, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit was moving, he was striving with man. And yet, although the Holy Spirit did come in the Old Testament and, and under the Old Covenant, he did come upon the servants of God. He did empower them for a season, for a time. Yet, as we will see in these promises that Jesus made to the disciples, this is something new. Amen. This is something different than that. This is more than just the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody for a season, or for a specific task. I was reading through the book of Ezekiel a few uh, weeks ago and uh, didn't read through the entire book. I'm still working my way through the book. But as I was reading a few weeks ago, just noticing how Ezekiel would would say that the Holy Spirit came upon me. the The Holy Spirit came upon me. And the Holy Spirit was coming upon him because the Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling him and, and hadn't sealed him the way that he does for us. This is something new. This is something exciting. This is something that's going to change the world. Just as, as uh, the, the crucifixion changed the world, just as the resurrection changed the world, so the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, is going to change the world. This is going to be something completely new. And so look at some of these verses with me, some of these promises. Uh, jump back to John chapter 4. We're going to skip around a little bit here. Chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Jesus says, I am going to leave. I'm going back to the Father. Verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, another counselor, another advocate, the parakleton that he may abide with you forever. This was something new. In in Psalm 51, the great psalm of David, where he repents of his uh, horrendous sins, his uh, adultery with Bathsheba, his murder that he was complicit in, in, of Uriah, the Hittite, one of his faithful servants, a man who would have called him friend. And yet, David, when he is confronted, he repents and he cries out to God. And in Psalm 51, he Praise to the Lord, don't, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's not a prayer that we have to pray because the Spirit has sealed us. We don't have to worry about the Spirit leaving us. Uh, the Spirit is with us, and this is something new. The Spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Then as they leave the upper room, as they head towards uh, the Garden Gethsemane, they pass the vine, the vineyard, Uh, He talks about being the vine, you are the branches, and uh, then he 
says, verse 26 of chapter 15, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And then over in chapter 16 again, verse 12, I have many... I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he, the Holy Spirit, shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while. And you shall see me because I go to the Father. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is about to change. Now let me give you three ways the Holy Spirit's ministry is going to change. And we'll cover at least two of these tonight, Lord willing. But number one, as we just read, the, the number one way that the Spirit's ministry is going to change is that His ministry through the apostles and prophets would complete the canon of Scripture. His ministry through these apostles and through the prophets and through others that he is going to choose is going to complete the canon of Scripture. He is going to remind them and he's going to guide them into all truth. He's going to remind them of the things that they have been taught. He's going to reveal, we see in chapter 16, that he will show things to come. The promise that God is going to use some of these men and others, like the Apostle Paul and Mark and Luke, Judas called Jude, uh, James, that he is going to use these men to complete the canon of Scripture, to give new revelation, to give new prophecies, not just to help explain the prophecies, although much of the prophecies in the New Testament do help to explain and connect the dots with the many, many prophecies in the Old Testament but to also give new prophecies as well. His ministry through the apostles and prophets would complete the canon of Scripture. But secondly, his ministry to believers would also increase. Would also increase. Now again, the Holy Spirit has ministered to believers throughout the centuries, throughout history. But this is something new. This is something different. This is another level of ministry. He's going to come, and he's going to do some things on a whole other level. And the first one we see uh, back in Acts chapter 1 is he's going to baptize these believers. He's going to baptize the believers. Now, Jesus said this baptism is not like John's baptism. We, we practice water baptism here. That's a biblical command. We've talked about that when we looked at the Great Commission that we are to baptize disciples in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're to mark disciples, mark those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ by the uh, ordinance of baptism. But this is a different kind of baptism. This is spirit baptism. It's a singular event. It happens one time. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 5, there is one baptism. You only need one. Now, we'll talk about the distinction between baptism and filling in just a minute. You need to be filled with the Spirit constantly, but you need one baptism. And here's what happens when 
God baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ today or whenever you placed your faith in Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection, His payment for your sin, and you received forgiveness of sin, you received eternal life, you received the Holy Spirit, here's what happened. Number one, the first part of spirit baptism is baptism by Jesus with the Spirit or into the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God, as we are baptized into the Spirit by Jesus Himself, Acts 1.5, we are going to be indwelt by the Spirit. Permanently indwelt by the Spirit. Now again, prior to Pentecost, the Spirit would come upon people for acts of ministry. Holy Spirit came upon Samson, gave him raw, incredible physical strength. Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Nevertheless, he did not permanently indwell them. We see that in John chapter 20, by the way, after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to the disciples in John chapter 20, he says to them, this is on the day of his uh, resurrection, he appears to them in the upper room. He says, peace be unto you as my father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, verse 22, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins yet ye retain, they are retained. Now, by the way, the, the Greek verb tense there indicates that, that Jesus is not telling them that they're going to get to pick and choose what sin is and who gets forgiven. It's, that's not what he's saying. It, it's, it's a difficult phrase to translate into English, but if we look at the Greek verb tense, what he's saying is what God has already decided is going to be the path to forgiveness, you are going to get to declare that forgiveness. And what God declares as sin and, and forgiveness, you're going to get to declare that. It will have been decided in heaven, and you're going to get to preach that. That's going to be a, an essential part of your message. I get to tell people that you can be forgiven, no matter what you've done. You can be forgiven. The only sin that, that God will not forgive is the sin of unbelief. You can be forgiven, whatever your sin is. It's a scandalous thought what God will forgive. But it is because of how great the sacrifice for sin was when Jesus died for our sin. Because of the infinite greatness of his sacrifice, there is no sin, no amount of sin, that can out-tip the scales when placed on the balance against the shed blood of the perfect Lamb of God. And so it's an incredible thing that we can promise somebody that if you will confess your sin that He is able and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, regardless of how dark you think you are and how wicked you have been, you can be forgiven. And when you are forgiven today, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples, again, Jesus breathed on them. He gave them a, a temporary Old Testament, Old Covenant endowment, empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but He told them, you, you're, that's not what you're getting in a few days. That's not what's coming seven weeks later, guys. Something even better than that is coming. The Holy Spirit himself is going to come personally to this planet, and he is going to fill you, and he is going to indwell you permanently, and I'm going to baptize you with and into the Holy Spirit. Now, at some point later, we'll walk through the book of Acts together, and uh, Lord willing, at some point we'll do that, and we'll see that, that in the book of Acts, in this transitional stage, 
that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, act, it, it was activated a little bit differently. Because what you have in the Old Testament is you have people who were saved by faith. People have always been saved by faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Everyone, Abel saved by faith. Enoch saved by faith. Noah saved by faith. People have always been saved by faith, but sin could not be removed, Hebrews tells us. The blood of animals could not remove sin. It could only cover sin. And so people were having, believers were having their sins covered by the sacrificial system of the old covenant, the law of Moses. But what happened when Jesus died on the cross is he met perfectly and completely the old covenant. He fulfilled it. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. And he did. He fulfilled the law. So now there is no need to have your sins covered. In fact, there is no way to have your sins covered. You can only have them removed by Jesus Christ. You can't hide your sin anymore. You can only come to him and have it removed and have your sins washed whiter than snow. And so people in the old covenant, under the old covenant who had their sins covered, all of a sudden that visa has expired. One of the things we were stressed about, and it's amazing, you know, we've been married for six years now. It's amazing some of the things we've already endured in our young marriage. Um, but we, we were struggling with uh, getting Gigi's um, uh, green card on time and because her visa was running out and there was just all kinds of issues that we had to go through. The moment that she got her green card, her visa had no power, no authority. It, it expired. Uh, she can hold it, but it has no power. It has no authority. And now she's a citizen. Her, her green card has no power or authority because she, she now has citizenship. She doesn't need that stuff anymore. The same is true in the Old Covenant that uh, men and women who followed God, they had those visas, they had those green cards, but the moment that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that Remember when Jesus died on the cross, that temple veil was rent in two. The sacrificial system was finished. It was completed. And Hebrews says, now guys, you can, you can go to that temple and you can offer all the sacrifices you want. It's not going to do anything because there's only one sacrifice now that you need and must have. Peter said, there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And so you have to come through Jesus Christ. And so it was different then. How, what happens to somebody who was saved under the Old Covenant now that the Old Covenant has expired? And so in this transitional period, God did endow or, or did baptize people with the Holy Spirit a little bit differently than today. But as of Romans chapter 8, as of Romans chapter 8, Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. The transitional period was done. And if you have Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ. There is no such thing as a Christian who, who has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not today. Maybe the week after Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe the year after Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe in that decade after Jesus rose from the dead. But today, as of Romans chapter 8, we know, Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit... You don't really have Jesus Christ. And so all believers receive this baptism at conversion. This is the permanent sealing and indwelling of believers. 
Jesus, again, in John chapter 14, tells the disciples here, these apostles, these 11, that the Holy Spirit is now going to be with them forever. This was something new. This is something different. It's not something that was possible under the old covenant because Messiah had not died yet. He had not fulfilled the covenant. He had not met those requirements yet. So it wasn't possible yet. So we have baptism by Jesus with the Holy Spirit, into the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. But we also have baptism by the Spirit into Jesus. Baptism by the Spirit into Jesus. So we have Jesus baptizing us into the Spirit and the Spirit baptizing us into Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's just go there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, another passage that we'll look at more completely at a later time. But a very critical passage as it relates to the ministry of the church and the unity of the church and the work of the church. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Every believer has been given the Holy Spirit and has a manifestation of the Spirit, has a spiritual gift. Then he goes on to list these different gifts and talk about some of these different gifts. And then down in verse 12, he says for... uh, all, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, verse 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So many members, one body. We are brothers. We are part of the same body of Jesus Christ. We have different gifts. We have different ministries. We have different activities here at Memorial Heights and around this community and around the world with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But, but we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, into the church. And that's why we're members of the church, because of what Jesus has done. So spirit baptism is baptized, baptism by Jesus with or into the Spirit and baptism by the Spirit into Jesus. Now, that is different than this next thing that we're going to talk about as we close. And we'll, we'll pick this up again next Sunday night as we, as we finish uh, this message. But let's talk about Spirit filling for a minute. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now again, if we go into the Greek and we look at the verb tense, literally what Paul is saying is be being filled. Be being filled. To be filled with the Spirit is to be under the control of the Spirit. Now, one of the best illustrations that I've ever heard, this is not something I thought of, but one of the best illustrations I've ever heard is the illustration of wind in the sails of a boat. 
The Holy Spirit is described, the work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3 is described as, as wind. You know, the, holy, the, the, the wind, we, we see the effects of the wind, but we don't see the wind itself. We see the wind moving things. And Jesus says, so is everyone who's been born of the Spirit. When a sailboat's sails are filled with the wind, there is incredible power, there is direction, there is guidance. But when that wind is gone or when the sails are not turned correctly, you're going to have a hard time getting that boat to go where you want it to go. And especially if you're fighting against the wind, you're going to have a real difficult time getting that boat where you want to go. So is it with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. We must constantly make sure that the sails of our spirit are in tune with the Holy Spirit so that we are being filled with His power and with His guidance and with His strength. It is a constant, continual process. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event, but the filling of the Holy Spirit must be constant. Something that we must do daily, and not just daily, but throughout the day. Yielding ourselves to the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. We have the very power of God inside of us, but the reason that we don't experience that power is because we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're fighting in the Holy Spirit. We're grieving Him. We're quenching Him. We're quenching His his conviction in our heart. When the Holy Spirit uh, prods us to apply a passage of Scripture or to deal with a sin issue that's in our heart and in our life, and we don't want to deal with that sin or we don't want to apply that Scripture, we're too busy or we're too tired or we, we, we don't want to change. This is just the way I am. This is the way God made me. This is just who I am. Live, you know, learn to live with it. No, we need to learn to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the work of the Holy Spirit, and to the Spirit's filling. As we yield more control to the Spirit, we experience more of His power. And when we do not yield control, we grieve Him, Ephesians 4.30. We quench Him, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. We don't lose the Spirit, but we lose access to the power of the Spirit. We have broken fellowship with the Spirit. We need the Spirit's filling. This is something that is new. This is something that is exciting. This is an incredible, incredible gift that God has given to the church, the very presence and power of God himself living inside of us as individuals, living inside of us as a community of faith, as a, as a local family, a body of Christ. But it's also an incredible responsibility. Because we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to yield to the Spirit. And the way that we're going to demonstrate that is in our obedience to His Word. Because Peter says, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul says that uh, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's given by inspiration of God that it's the Holy Spirit who inspired these men. And so when we say, Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, The Holy Spirit is that light as He speaks to us through His Word. But if we're not willing to be in His Word, and if we're not willing to obey His Word, when the light shines in the darkness of our hearts, and we all have that darkness, we all need that light to shine in the darkness of our hearts. If we're not willing, we we try to to ignore the light, hide the light. We're not going to be experiencing 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and we're not going to be experiencing His power as well. Have I been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Well, have you made a decision for Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you trusted in His death and resurrection? Amen. Is that your sole defense in the court of heaven? That you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've received His grace? You've been forgiven? You've been given eternal life? If so, you've been baptized by the Spirit. But are you being filled with the Spirit? Are you yielding to his control. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for the uh, incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, one of many, many blessings and gifts that you've given to us that we don't really grasp what we've been given. Father, we've, th- those of us who have been saved for decades, even, even after decades, we're really only beginning to really place our fingers on the value of this gift that you've given to us. And so, Father, help us to see the incredible gift that you've given, the incredible responsibility that comes with the presence of God inside of us, the power of God available to us. God, help us to work out the salvation you've given us with fear and trembling as we, Father, yield control to your spirit and obey your word. Uh, Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.